This is farmland. Opposition to the EU-Mercosur trade deal continues to escalate, but is the Irish farmer's voice being heard in Brussels? We ask independent MEP Luke Ming Flanagan. And what can be done to tackle disruptive vegan voices that are targeting Ireland's dairy sector? Zoe Kavna, CEO of the National Dairy Council, gives her perspective. But first, what are the safeguards attached to the importation of 99,000 tonnes of beef from the Mercosur bloc? Sylvester Phelan has this report. The proposed EU-Mercosur agreement, announced by the European Commission in recent weeks, is the largest trade deal the EU has ever concluded. 20 years in the making, the agreement will see winners and losers in Europe. The winners primarily being European car manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies, the losers, European livestock farmers. Under the relevant terms of the agreement for Irish farmers, beef will see the most significant impact, as a quota of 99,000 tonne of beef could potentially be allowed into European markets at a 7.5% in-quota rate, subdivided into 55% fresh and 45% frozen. Meanwhile, on the poultry front, the text agrees to 180,000 tonne of carcass weight equivalent duty-free, subdivided into 50% bone-in and 50% boneless. Finally, 25,000 tonne of pig meat in an in-quota duty of €83 Euros per tonne has been agreed. Reciprocal tariff rate quotas will be opened by both sides phased in over 10 years for EU exports to Mercosur countries. These include duty-free quotas for 30,000 tonne of cheese, 10,000 tonne of milk powders and 5,000 tonne of infant formula. According to the Commission, all Mercosur produce imported into Europe must comply 100% with the EU's stringent food safety standards. The deal also includes a safeguard clause, which can be used if the EU agri-industry is severely affected by increased imports. This is the first time that such a measure was included in any free trade agreement, according to the Commission. A number of environment and climate commitments were made to ensure that the Mercosur countries fulfil their obligations under the Paris Climate Agreement. The Mercosur deal has sparked a furious backlash from Irish farmers, with thousands taking to the streets of Dublin to protest the agreement. All eyes now turn to the governments and Europe to see if the deal will be ratified or rejected at council level. We're joined now by independent MEP Luke Ming Flanagan. Luke, thanks very much for coming to join us. Luke, political agreement has been reached on the EU-Mercosur deal. You've actually described it as a mockery of our commitment on climate mitigation. Why? Well, the simple fact is uh, Europe already has access to the most environmentally sustainable beef on the planet, Irish beef, uh, fed on permanent pasture land. And what they're suggesting is that we end up moving to a situation where that beef, which has fantastic environmental credentials, that it is expected to compete with beef that comes potentially from an area where they had to cut down the Amazonian rainforest to produce it, where we have no idea about the traceability of it, no idea what they have put into it, except for maybe up until three months before it's killed. And anyone who can suggest that there will be anything positive environmentally to come out of this is either lying to themselves or they're trying to con us. But as Luke, the Commission has said that the Mercosur bloc will be subject to strict environmental and sanitary and phytosanitary standards under the deal. 
Then you have the Mercosur block itself saying that they want to get rid of this stigma that is there around agriculture and the rotten apples that they have. Um, and there is actually a, a push button, a red push button apparently in the deal as well, that if food scares emerge, that the EU can block those regions where the problems are. So isn't there a level of reassurance there in the trade deal on an environmental side? Well, they would say that because uh, there's a lot of people going to make an awful lot of money out of this. And in particular, the car industry, uh, Volkswagen, for example, uh, simple as this, whatever it takes to sell those vehicles. Just before uh, I came uh, in here to talk to you, I was explaining about what happened with another deal that Germany did in the past. They sold weapons cheap to Saudi Arabia in return for votes to hold the World Cup. So if I was to take reassurances from Germany or any of those states or the European Commission who tell us there'll be no problem with this, I'd have to say I'd have an awful problem believing it. Because the simple fact is this, you cannot improve on perfection. We already have perfection here with suckler beef. We already have perfection when it comes to animal welfare standards, which is something of a massive issue to European Union citizens. And we already have what we want. When is the last time you ever heard anyone clamoring, looking for Brazilian beef? The only people who want Brazilian beef to come into Europe are the multinationals who are going to make a fortune off the backs of ordinary people. Luke, there has been a ferocious pushback on this from Irish farmers, from the farm organisations and within political circles. Is that voice being heard out in Brussels? You're there at the coalface out there. Well, uh, there's lots to talk about it, but unfortunately, but I wouldn't say unfortunately, rather coincidentally or maybe deliberately, this agreement has been struck at a time where we do not have a forum to officially discuss this because the Agriculture Committee has not yet been formed. If it had been formed, it would be the first thing that we would have brought up. So we're having our constitutive meeting on Wednesday where, we'll be, where we will be put together and we'll decide who our chairman is and decide who the members are, decide who the coordinators are. And I will be bringing it up under any other business, this abomination of a deal that they're trying to go ahead with. And in fairness to the Agriculture Committee and John Clark, uh, the, one of the chief trade negotiators, heard this from the committee. We were like a choir singing in unison, objecting to this deal. Now you'd have to ask the question, if the representatives of agriculture and the people of Europe and the Agriculture Committee are all 100% against this, where is democracy in Europe if they're going to try and go ahead with it? So there is opposition to it. We will get an opportunity to vote on this in the full European Parliament. I will be voting against it. The leader of our group brought it up yesterday at the post-European uh, Council statements in the plenary. It got massive applause. I noticed that Mairead McGuinness did not clap the statements, even though half the chamber did. But we will be expecting people like Mairead McGuinness to vote against this when it comes before the full European Parliament. And also, Leo Varadkar is making sounds about how he will object to it at the Trade Council. Well, it requires a qualified majority for it to go through. So I hope he's out there today working on getting one third of these countries to object to it. Because if we don't, Whatever about people in, in farming beef here, it is going to destroy them. But there are other issues as well. 
We apparently are trying to do something about climate change in Europe. If we go ahead with this deal, why the hell should anyone in the world ever listen to us pontificating about this ever again? Because we will be one of the biggest sinners at that stage. When you talk about timing there, Luke, in recent weeks, we had the, the announcement of the 50 million euro fund uh, towards the, the beef sector here, which would be matched by 50 million in Ireland uh, in order to support farmers that have been affected by market disturbances and I suppose Brexit uncertainty as well. Uh, what about the timing of that? Was that fund, in your view, announced to kind of soften the blow of this Mercosur trade deal coming down the line? Well, they were my suspicions at the time that it was announced. I did suggest that maybe this was a sweetener for the Mercosur deal, which potentially could have been announced a week or two later. It has now been announced. And no more than trying to do something about the Mercosur deal, it was announced at a time when the members of the European Parliament Agri Committee were not sitting. But something very interesting has uh, come to light when we contacted uh, the Department of Agriculture to see their submission on this. They applied under Article 219 of the regulation for a temporary disturbance, something that would only be for a short term, for one year. But what we have got in the end is something under Article 221, which can actually be rolled over and can be extended. And my worry is that this will be extended and we will be forced down the road of production reduction. Now, we were given assurances myself and uh, the colleagues that I work with on the Agri-Committee when we met uh, the Agriculture Commission that it was an option to reduce production. We told them that our fear was that the department at home would say that we had no choice but to do this. Those worries were borne out at the Public Accounts Committee when the Secretary General of the Department of Agriculture, Brendan Gleeson, said that it wasn't an option, it was something that we had to do. I have since written to the Public Accounts Committee asking them to correct the record. We have also contacted the Commission to tell them that we were unfortunately proven right, that this is the road that they would drive us down. But the simple facts are this, we do not have to reduce production, it is not a requirement and what we can do and what we could do is give this 50 to 100 million euros out as a top up to the ANC payments. That would be a better way to do it and then try and solve the problem and there are problems with the sustainability of beef in the long term. We deal with that under the review of the common agricultural policy. Luke, finally, we're just nearly out of time. Just uh, you're back out in Brussels. You're reappointed to the Ag Committee five years ahead of you. You're on the Trade Committee as well. Yes. Um, can you just outline your priorities for the years ahead? And also you you're going to have some assistance there from Claire Daly and Mick Wallace, who are now MEPs as well. Yeah, the fact that Claire Daly and Mick Wallace are out there means that I can actually focus more on the Agriculture Committee. I've also now got a substitute position on the INTA committee, which is the trade committee. And for obvious reasons, because of the Mercosur deal, because of the potential of TTIP to come back, uh, I will be focusing more than ever on agriculture. And the reason why is this, and I'll take it from a point that was made to Matt Carty on Twitter last night, and I noticed it. And someone said to him that, Sure, this only affects a minority of farmers, and farmers are only a minority, so you're hardly, you shouldn't be concentrating on this 100%. But the reality is, we all eat. 
this issue affects absolutely everyone and the quality of food on our plate affects everyone, not only farmers. So for that reason, I will be focusing even more on agriculture in the next five years because what we put into our bellies, if it's good, it helps our health. If it's not good, it affects our health. So this issue affects absolutely everyone and people have got to wake up to that. Luke, we're going to leave it there. Thanks very much for coming into us. Um, next up, the NDC and Kerry Gold Quality Milk Awards were announced recently. Emma Gilsonen caught up with the 2018 winner. The National Dairy Council and Kerry Gold Milk Quality Awards is an annual national award programme which recognises standards of excellence in dairy farming. Agriland caught up with last year's overall winner, Darren McKenna, who is farming just outside Emmy Vale, County Monaghan, to see what the secret is behind his success in dairy farming. Milking around 109 cows there at the moment and roughly about 150 acres of land and carrying all my young stock as well. Um, and uh, I won the Cherry Gold NDC Quality Milk Awards uh, last October 2018. Well, the reason that I do it is I find everything, if you have your, your milk quality right and your animals right, it's a lot easier to farm because you have less problems, you could say, because everything just seems to work sweeter and that's the reason I go down that road. The grass is it all, like if you can produce quality green grass, like that's what pulls your fat and your protein and it, it keeps the cow well fed and she maintains herself then. If you have an easy maintained cow, she's a healthy animal and she'll go out to the field and she'll eat grass and she'll turn it into a good quality milk, you know. And that's, uh, I find that by mixing my breeds rather than sticking with one type of a breed, like so, I'd mostly British Friesian and Holstein and a small bit of Jersey, but and, and a small bit of Norwegian Red actually this year, but I find if you mix them, you kind of work with an animal that suits all. I think you have to focus on quality. Doesn't matter what you do, like if it's say producing the milk or growing the grass or and then I think you have to uh, even the way you, your parlours washed or if you're putting in making investments, you know, if you focus on quality all the time, you know, it'll 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 come through the whole way that. But I would set minimum goals, but it's very hard to say every year that you're going to keep improving because weather and having has a big factor in it but I would set you know minimum goals that I want to like on meal feeding I wouldn't want to feed any more than a certain level and I wouldn't want to um, house for any longer than like I try to push as far as 270 days on grass you know and uh, try to feed no more than 70 800 kilos a meal oh yeah it's all it's all at the end of the day it's all down to making a living and that's it it's, it's if you can um, Keep your costs down and and uh, your profits up, and you know your family live a better standard of life. Workload is easier. Everything, you know, so that's what pushes me all the time. Yeah. Zoe Kavanagh, the CEO of the National Dairy Council, joins us now. Zoe, thanks very much for coming into us. Thank you. Um, Zoe, dairying in a post-quota era has been very, very successful for the Irish dairy sector, but it hasn't been without its challenges. Obviously, NDC's role is to promote the credentials and the reputation of Irish dairying. But I suppose in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of questions asked of us in terms of climate change, uh, the vegan campaign, animal welfare. Um, is the job getting more difficult? Um, the job is becoming more uh, dynamic and uh, definitely more challenging. But, it, you know, I say that against a backdrop of um, 
a dairy economy, which since quota has grown 60% from a production perspective and is delivering 2 billion euro a year um, on the back of expansion. So starting from a very positive place, which is we've got this really strong economic story. Um, we are producing off a grass-based system. We have retained our family farming model and we're producing a portfolio of products that are nutritionally fantastic. So that's the starting point and it's fine me saying it, the challenge is actually educating um, the population at large, key stakeholders and ultimately the questioning consumer um, that that is the case. So the challenge has been that we now have to really work hard to ensure that we are landing messages in a way that are truly comprehensive and trusted um, about how our product is being produced, um, but also around the nutritional benefits. And one of the things we set out to do um, as part of the reputation agenda um, when it comes to nutrition is positioning dairy as part of a population health agenda. And I think that's a really important starting point. And then reassuring that questioning consumer around the ethical production approach we have here in Ireland, uh, as well as addressing um, climate change, which is very real and very urgent, but also an opportunity for Ireland to take a leadership position. And Zoe, you mentioned earlier that in the last, say, two years that you've really had to, you know, come up with new strategies, different strategies on how to address these challenges at, at NDC level. Um, can you just talk us through some of those changes that are being made to really ensure that the dairy industry, that, that its message is being told um, in the correct way and honest way? Yeah, look, in, in the good old days, you'd make a lovely TV ad and um, a radio uh, campaign to work alongside it. And you'd assume that the population at large would hear the messages. Um, but now what we have is a media which has no boundaries. So we're very much in the online world. We're very much into um, a, a shorter attention span. And the if I, if I look at the population base and I look at the most urgent audience to ensure that we um, have a relationship with and land the key facts, it is that young questioning consumer, the future parents in Ireland. Um, and the approach to engage with them is very much dairy finding its voice out of home, on the go and in the online world in a way that is relevant. And that's not just in Ireland. So we are now operating at a European level with our equivalents as well as at an international level. And all of the um, dairy councils internationally are focused on the same three agendas, which is how can we deliver an education package around the nutritional benefits? How can we reassure around the ethical production standards? And also what's our response on climate change? And what's interesting from a collaborative point of view here in Ireland is we can really collaborate internationally around nutrition. We can collaborate to a certain extent on climate change. But when it comes to ethical production and grass-based system and family farming, actually the collaboration isn't so strong because Ireland is unique and almost becomes disruptive within um, our equivalents at a European level because we've got such a unique story and that is around the grass-based system and water usage. 99% of the water that we're using, you know, is, is rainfall from the sky. So we have almost no water stress. We've got this grass-based system. We have a family farm model and actually that's very different from anywhere else in the world. New Zealand to a certain extent is comparable, but they would have some water stresses that we wouldn't have. So almost um, 
the opportunity around responding to climate change um, and engaging with the consumer around it is, I believe, Ireland's um, unique selling point and where we can lead and win. Uh, Zoe, although Ireland has a great story on dairy and dairy has always been a huge staple to the Irish diet, recent research shows that 41% of Irish women and 30% of Irish men are limiting or avoiding their dairy intake. Um, just based on your own consumer research, what are the reasons that people are, are making those decisions? Why are people questioning it? Yeah. That particular um, dairy avoidance is, is quite specific to the 20 to 29 year old female. Um, she's typically in an urban environment and she's questioning and her three reasons for limiting or moderating dairy in the diet, um, it's fat, allergy and intolerance. Uh, so they are the three areas that most of the health questioning um, is coming from dairy. And where's that, where's that coming from? Um, well, again, I'll come back to um, you know, the online world, a lot of, you know, celebrities and influencers promoting diets around, you know, dropping dress sizes and um, just having a better image. And, and they're suggesting that you can do that by limiting or moderating dairy in the diet. So that's that's a real challenge. And it's a concern because if we don't address that and presume when those young women become mothers, they'll just come back to the dairy aisles when completing their family shop. Um, I think we're mistaken because sadly um, that young questioning female consumer has found alternatives which she believes are helping her with her fat allergy and intolerance and as we know the dairy alternative products that are appearing in store at twice the price and a fraction of the nutrition are not nutritionally equivalent they just are incomparable so the challenge we have is how do we educate that young female that she's missing out on a whole suite of vital nutrition um, by going for the dairy alternatives. And I think we have two jobs there. One, we need to engage with her and talk to her about exactly all the goodness that's in dairy, um, directly and indirectly. So through health professionals, through um, ambassadors that we have working out through a sports arena or through a fashion arena now, reassuring that question consumer around the nutritional benefits. But furthermore, with retailers, and I think what we're witnessing now is we have retailers that are, quite frankly, using milk as a loss leader to reassure their shoppers that they're, you know, um, delivering good value. And yet at the same time, giving more shelf space to these dairy alternatives at a much, much higher price with a fraction of the nutritional content. And that's putting margin in their back pockets. And I think there's a body of work for us to do along with, you know, branded suppliers to actually work with retailers and I've seen in Australia, they're actually now increasing the cost of dairy, fresh dairy to the consumer as a means of reassuring the consumer around the nutritional benefits. Because if you keep cheapening the price of a highly nutritious product, you're almost suggesting it's not good for you. So from a population health point of view, I think we have a big, big body of work to do at retailer level to present our products as being part of a population health solution. And I suppose, Zoe, in order to do that, do you need increased funding 
of the National Dairy Council to really get in there to make those changes. The, the council is in receipt of 3.2 million in funding at the moment, uh, the bulk of that coming from far voluntary farmer levies. Um, just what about the funding at the moment? Do you need more funding in order to really break through on those areas that are going to become hugely important in the years ahead? Yeah, we, to answer that question, yes. There's two reasons why we need more funding. Um, if we were to look at the milk pool in Ireland and have every Irish dairy farm farmer support the NDC, we would be in receipt of 5.2 million euro, coupled with the 1.8 million that we're drawing down from Europe. You know, we get closer to being a 7 million euro organisation, which would allow us to have a voice 365 days a year, both directly and indirectly with the consumer. Um, I say that because when I look at our equivalents around Europe and around the world, in other words, dairy councils operating at that pre-competitive space, they are supported, fully supported organisations. So I think we, we have to become um, more robust and I think we need to become representative of 100% of the dairy farmers in Ireland. But more worryingly, we have um, detractor organisations such as Go Vegan Ireland who have gone from having €37,000 five years ago to over €2.5 in 2018. And we know it's rising. We cannot verify where the funding is coming from, but we can have a pretty good guess. It's, it's coming from fairly sophisticated, um, wealthy organisations who are looking to disrupt this marketplace quite deliberately. Because I do think strategically, if you're a disruptor and you can win Ireland, that says an awful lot because I think Ireland is a dairy leader in the world. So one of the big challenges we have is to have a voice um, 365 days of the year, setting our own agenda. I'm not interested in responding to a go vegan campaign, poster campaign that runs out in January. That is not when I should be finding my voice. Our voice needs to be on throughout the year um, at, at a number of levels. Um, particularly at that questioning consumer level, telling them where the product comes from, why they could should consume it um, and why they should feel good about it in the longer term. Zoe, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, that's it for this week's show. If you have any comments or questions, feedback, get in touch with us on any of our platforms. We'll be back again next Thursday.